again and welcome to another episode of My Big Break, a special podcast series from Motorsport that delves into the moments, decisions and turning points in the careers of some of F1's biggest names. I'm Chris Medland and today I'm joined by McLaren Racing CEO Zach Brown who tells me all about the transition that saw him go from aspiring racing driver to marketing guru, turning down numerous F1 opportunities before finally making the leap to head up McLaren's racing activities. There have been some big gambles along the way that so far appear to have really paid off. Zach, thank you so much for joining us on the My Big Break podcast. Now, I'd say you have two from the outside. Uh, One would be setting up JMI and one is joining McLaren. So you're the CEO of McLaren Racing. That must have felt a long way off for a kid growing up in California. What gave you the bug to chase a career in racing? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I loved cars ever since I was a, a little kid, you know, playing with Hot Wheels. Uh, my father used to take my brother and I uh, to the races. He wasn't into racing. I wouldn't even say it was a racing fan. I would say it was a, it's in the newspaper. Let's go do it a couple times a year. So my first ever race was the 1981 Long Beach Grand Prix. I uh, went with my family. I remember like it was Yesterday, I remember seeing the Formula One cars in the aquarium with like white picket fences around them. So you had total access, which was pretty cool. And it made a huge impression uh, on me. I would have been, you know, 10 years old at that point. And then uh, my father would take us to Riverside International Raceway, where we would watch um, NASCAR, uh, and this is 83, 84, and IMSA Camel. Uh, GT. Um, and I used to kind of hang around after the race. I remember getting Kyle Petty's autograph and Daryl Waltrip's autograph and then went to the drag races in in Pomona. I would actually say that was my father's favorite type of of racing. So uh, I was experienced. I was exposed to it, I should say, uh, very early on. That just made me kind of fall in love with the sport and, and watching the Indy 500 uh, in particular was always a big thing for me. And then in 1987, uh, when I was in high school, uh, one of my good buddies' uh, family was in racing and we went to the Long Beach Grand Prix and I met Mario Andretti, uh, was obviously very intimidated, Uh, asked him how you get started in racing. He said, uh, karting. There was an ad in there for uh, Jim Hall Kart Racing School. I had been on uh, Wheel of Fortune uh, Teen Week when I was about 13 years old and had these stack of his and her watches that uh, isn't very exciting for a 13-year-old that I went and sold at a pawn shop to go get into karting. And that's kind of how it all uh, how it all started. That's incredible. I never knew that Mario was the one who told you what you kind of needed to go and do. Yeah, um, yeah. And there was a little ad in the race program. Still have the race program. Oh, wow. Um, that'd be worth a fair bit in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a lot of people that maybe know you since you've joined McLaren and they'll see that you have an incredible car collection uh, and that you're very handy behind the wheel, but they maybe don't appreciate just how handy you were uh, as you were coming through. If I'm right in saying you had an Indy Light start at Laguna Seca in 95, is that right? Yeah, you have to pick that race. That was like the worst race of my life. Um, <laughs> but Jack Miller was the driver before, so he developed the car, so you got to cut me a little little slack. But uh, yeah, no, I raced uh, at Lagoon. I did one Indy Lights race last race of the year. Um, but I would, I'd been in Europe with Formula Ford, primarily Opel Lotus and Boxer Lotus, Formula 3, uh, B-class. 
and then came to the States and did a combination of Atlantics, one Indy Lights race and some uh, IMSA racing. So, yeah, I had you down that you had some podiums in, in Formula 3 over here. So um, I didn't want to just pick out the, the tough weekend. It was just that, yeah, looking at your driver history, it said Indy Lights. Um, but then, so that was all 94, 95 time where it looks like, you know, you're making the step to some pretty high rungs on the ladder. Uh, and then what triggered the move to set up JMI, Just Marketing International, um, as it became uh, in 95? It, um, it, you know, I, I kind of stumbled on it. What, what, how it came about is, is a kind of starving race car driver. Uh, you're always trying to find sponsorships and you're just doing deals. And uh, when I got a deal to race back in the States, I'd been uh, started to get good at, at, at sponsorship and uh, TWA, who was my sponsor at the time, said, um, hey, you know, we really like what's going on. Sorry, you're moving back to the States. Can't you place your sponsorship with a, another team in, in Europe? You must kind of know the good people, the bad people, what a good deal looks like. And I went, yeah, I could do that. And um, that's that's what I did. And that then kind of was a little bit of a light bulb moment that maybe there's some money to be made to fund my racing. It wasn't intended to be a business. It was just a means of getting by um, to go back to a lot of these contacts that I developed relationships with, but couldn't close because in hindsight, I probably wasn't famous enough, but I was developing good relationships and went back and started to say, what if I could take you kind of anywhere in the sport? And then that's how the business got started and I raced, I started it in 95 in Indianapolis and uh, continued to race through 2000. And I, I started hearing from everyone, which you don't want to hear as a racing driver, hey, um, we're not sure how good you are as a uh, professional racing driver, but you seem to be pretty darn good at this sponsorship and marketing stuff. And um, I did the last two years uh, with Porsche and IMSA. And in 2000, I think I was ready to stop in 99. I continued in 2000 and that definitely sealed the deal because it wasn't a great year and I was I was burned out and business was starting to get big at that point and exciting. And then that's when I transitioned into into business, which which still never really had a, a plan. It was just go do deals. I mean, was there a certain deal that kind of triggered it for you that said this could be really lucrative or this could really go far? Um, I think my first seven-figure deal was with Ziff Davis uh, magazine, which is PC World and um, PC Mag with uh, John Delapena in IndyCar. And then shortly thereafter, I did a deal with Columbia House Records in NASCAR, which was my first NASCAR deal. And that was seven figures. That's when things started to get serious because you started to make money beyond making a living, but you were actually starting to, you know, be able to go afford my first nice car. And uh, then you started to feel like you were, you were, you were getting, making some progress and then it just built from there. But I guess as someone who had raced and you know, the importance of having good equipment and the good team around you and how expensive the sport is like, was it just a point where it became impossible to juggle the two at the same time? Because I guess as, as JMI became more successful and you had those big deals, that gave you the cash to go and you know really invest in the best equipment to race if you wanted to. Yeah, it, business at that point. Well, one, I was burned out on on racing. You know, I hadn't had fun 
uh, the last couple of years. So it wasn't, oh, now I can afford to get the best equipment. I'd never been in great equipment. And most of the time I've been in poor equipment um, because that's all the, you know, the, the sponsorship I had. I always tried to kind of stretch the rubber band as much as possible. So I wasn't, even the business was going great, I, I, I kind of lost my motivation. And then I got back in the car for the first time in, it was 06 with uh, Richard Dean. Um, we finished, we won our class second overall at the 24 Hours of Silverstone. And at that point, there'd been enough gap, me being away from racing and business was now you know very successful that I was able to go race and, and just enjoy it and felt like I was actually drove better than I had when I was trying real hard and then did the Ferrari challenge at uh, Fontana in 07 and my debut race I, I put it on pole and, and won so I had more fun then but at that point I was clearly past my sell-by date of being a professional driver and it was you know now I've got I think the best of all worlds of thoroughly enjoy the business that I, I run and, and the business I had and can race competitively in good equipment just for enjoyment. And as you say, is it because the pressure financially had gone? You weren't looking for the next sponsorship deal to fund your own racing and that sort of thing. And you, I guess in a sense, you didn't need to get results to convince other people because you were your own backer. Yeah, it, it's exactly right. I, I could kind of pick and choose what I wanted to do. There was no pressure. And I think I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And I do to this day, um, you know, because of it, I'm, I'm not out trying to prove anything to anyone. I just want to enjoy uh, driving cars. I always have. So it's uh, the best combination now. But you mentioned how your relationships were a big thing and, and that people really recognized that you were very good at building them and that then opening doors within marketing and sponsorship. Where was the first Formula One related relationship and how keen were you to kind of cultivate that and, and get yourself into Formula One? Yeah, um, my first one, and it still exists today, which is really cool, uh, was, was Hilton, um, who we just renewed. Um so with 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 McLaren and then closely thereafter was uh, Johnny Walker. Uh, Formula One, I you know has always been as I think it is for most people in motor racing, you, you know the the pinnacle. And um, so to kind of be able to graduate to doing a a deal with Ron Dennis and and McLaren was was awesome. Um, and uh, we've been doing deals uh, ever uh, ever since. I mean, is it fair to say then that doing a deal with McLaren though is what eventually opened the door to where you're at now? Is it those first contacts and, and getting to know people at McLaren? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and the person I would say that made the uh, biggest impact for me in Formula One was John Hogan, uh, Hoagie. And how that came about was um, someone applied for a, a PR job uh, at, at my old company and John Hogan was a reference. And so I took the opportunity. I was like, yeah, I can get John Hogan on the phone. So I, um, that's how I met John. I kind of jumped on the opportunity because he, he was the, the king of Formula One uh, sponsorships and um, ultimately built a great relationship with him. And he's the one who kind of walked me in the door uh, everywhere. I always, I always knew Ekram Sami back when I was racing. So McLaren was always the kind of the first team I got to know. Um, 
and then John really helped get me in front of, you know, Bernie and Luca de Montezemolo and Flavio and Frank Williams. And, uh, you know, he had so much credibility and there wasn't anyone he didn't know. Um, so I don't think I'd be, uh, JMI wouldn't have got to where it got to without John Hogan. And I, I don't think I'd be sitting in the McLaren seat if it wasn't for the early days of what John Hogan did to contribute, uh, you know, bringing awareness of, of us to Formula One. Yeah, I mean, you talk about what JMI became. It became the largest motorsport mo- mo- marketing agency in the world. Um, and I think, am I right? Is it $76 million that Chime acquired it for, which is... Correct. Not small fry. Yeah. Not small fry. Is a it, it was it was going to be more, but some politics got involved. But that's a whole separate episode. But yeah, no, it was uh, it was a good payday. I I, I had sold seventy um, percent of it to uh, Spire Capital and Credit Suisse in in '08, and then another twenty uh, percent to Martin Sorrell's group WPP, who sat on the Formula One board and was the world's largest ad agency, which was ten of my thirty and. 10 of their 70s. So we did that for strategic reasons and then sold the entire entity to uh, Chime Communications in 2013. So, yeah, so JMI was hugely successful for you. But then once it was sold, did, did that sort of change where you thought you were headed in terms of your career? Because I know you were still involved at that point, but that had got you really embedded with with f1 did working full-time in f1 feel like a, a long way off at that stage or did it actually make it feel closer to you uh no that felt closer it was it was interesting you know when i sold uh the majority of the company in 2008 i, I had no interest in selling i i kept getting approached by people and then um uh someone said you should really entertain some of these calls and i was like man i'm just i'm just not interested um, and it's my baby, et cetera. So uh, Alan and company um, uh, represented me. And I remember uh, we had a, uh, a lot of incoming, but we kind of narrowed it down to three people. Um, one of which was a, one of the biggest names in, in motorsports. And then another was, the, was WPP and then uh, Spire Capital and Credit Suisse. And what I liked about them is it was, uh, clear they wanted me to continue to run the business where I felt a little bit less comfortable with the other two. So I kind of wanted my cake and to eat it too, which was give me the icing, but let me, let me eat the, continue to eat the cake. I, I didn't want to stop. And Alan and company said, yeah, we, we kind of hear that from all you entrepreneurs. Wait till we put something under your nose. And they, they called that right. Clearly they've been in the business before because it was a life changing amount of, of money, quite frankly. Uh, and I can continue to run my business. So it was like, this feels pretty good. And uh, But what that did start was a journey of um, th- disengagement would be the wrong word because I'd never been fully engaged. So I can't think of a better word, but it, it started the process of it was no longer exclusively mine. And then uh, WPP came in in 12 and then in 13. So I think that five-year journey was a uh, good way for me to start to disengage from the I own this thing exclusively. So by the time uh, we sold it in 2013, I was pretty ready at that point to do something else. I've been doing it for, you know, um, almost 20, 20 years. Um, then they put me in to be the group CEO and 
that confirmed for me, not that I had any doubt that I'm not a business sports guy. I'm a business racing guy. And um, because just getting involved with these other sports, just it felt like a job. And um, even though it's been 20 years of a slugfest, it's always been fun and my passion. And for the first time, I felt like this is a job. So uh, I started to really lose interest at that point. It was almost like my racing. I kind of needed to really get burnt out on it to be ready to make a a shift. And then I thought I was going to go to to Formula One. Bernie had offered me uh, a few times to come uh, join them. Uh, CVC uh, had been uh, hot on the trail uh, a few times. And then ultimately when uh, Liberty uh, bought it, um, there was an opportunity uh, then at the same time uh, Ron was trying to recruit me, but he wanted to have me in a, a more narrow role, kind of more on just the commercial side. And I felt like I've done that for 20 years. Um, and uh, I always got along with Ron Great. He did a tremendous amount for, for me and, and JMI and did a lot of deals with Ron. Um, still consider him a, a personal friend. Uh, but then when he had his issue with the uh, shareholders um, who I had a lot of time for, Monsaroje, the uh, Crown Prince of Bahrain, Sheikh Mohammed and they approached me and said, look, there's going to be some change here. Um, we like the idea of you joining us and, you know, what gets you excited and ultimately being inside a garage and and being both business, uh, business person and racer was the combination I was looking for. And uh, when that popped up, I um, quickly swerved because I, quite frankly, I was surprised. My family was surprised when we spoke about it. It was like, hey, your heart's been kind of set on Formula One for five years. Are you sure about this? And uh, made the decision. And as tough as my first couple of years at McLaren uh, were, uh, I've not once felt I made the wrong decision. So was that just a an approach from the shareholders then? Was it out of the blue in a sense if if it was Ron that had been trying to recruit you and like you say it was a turbulent time then so while he was having his issues did it feel like it was almost surprising that from a, another avenue within the team or within the group that some someone came to you uh it it, it was surprising because I I knew uh, Monsur and and Sheikh Mohammed um you know who represents the the crown prince um but not that well and you know, it was a little bit uncomfortable at first because you don't want to kind of get in the middle of, you know, what was going on of a, of a very long-term relationship there uh, breaking down. So that that w- was a bit uncomfortable with me because you know, I kind of like to get along with everyone and, you, you know, have a ton of admiration for, for Ron and the same thing with Monsur. So it was like, this is exciting, but I also don't want to be kind of in the middle of this. So it was a bit of can you guys go sort out what you need to sort out and then, and then call me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I was, I'm surprised to be where I am today and, and very grateful for it. Well, it was an executive director role, wasn't it? That you officially joined in. Did you speak to Ron about what you were getting into in the sense of if he'd given you something that was a bit more narrow when you then knew what a big opportunity it was, did you still talk to him then? Uh, I spoke with him then, but I I didn't ask um, 
too much advice. You know, it was, uh, you know, as it's been well documented, it was a pretty uh, turbulent time. So I, I, I kind of felt, um, let me just keep, keep my head down. Um, and I understood that, you know, the direction was coming from, uh, you know, Mansur and, and Sheikh Mohammed and uh, just really didn't feel comfortable talking too much to, to anyone about it. Because uh, there was a lot of emotion in the in the boardroom, as you can imagine. So uh, we 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 spoke. We spoke all the way through. We spoke the day of the press release. Um, spoke with them since, um, but I I just kind of kept my my head down. It, and in a sense, did you have any doubts about joining McLaren because of what had been going on? And, and like you say, the the turbulence that was there at the time, did it feel like a risk? Um, no. What what. It felt like it was an awesome opportunity, but it was pretty intimidating the racing side of it because I'm not technical. Um, and, you know, that's I'm still not technical. I, I know a lot more today than I did five years ago. Um, but that and that was one of the reasons why I joined the Cosworth board way back when was I, I recognized um, while I'll never be an engineer, I don't have a desire to be an engineer or a technician. I, I do want to learn uh, so I can understand. And um, so it was pretty intimidating starting walking into the factory, having, you know, eight, 900 people, this legendary team, this iconic brand. And, uh, you know, let's face it, a bit of a revolving door. Whitmarsh in, Whitmarsh out, Ron in, Ron out, Boulier in, Capito in, Capito out, Boulier, you know, so it was kind of, you know, I think the team was probably, you know, how long is this guy going to last? Um, and and you have to, as, as the leader, um, you, you know, it can be a lonely place when you when you start. I mean, the nice thing is I knew a decent amount of people at McLaren because of my history there, but, you know, not kind of the shop floor. Uh, I think it helped that I, I race. You know, there's a kind of a... Uh, a code, if you'd like, within these racing teams of, you know, is he or she a racer versus a, you know, a suit and tie. And so I think I came in with uh, some racer credentials, which was, which was good, but I'd never run a, a racing team uh, before. And uh, so that was, you know, to myself, pretty intimidating. These first couple town halls where you get you know, eight, 900 people together. I know 20 of them, but not 880 of them. And you're up there giving a speech on how you're going to kind of lead the team back to victory lane, if you'd like. And you actually don't know three quarters of, of what goes on inside a Formula One team from a technical standpoint. Um, I'm well beyond that now. Um, but, you know, that, that first kind of year or two, was uh, especially given the place we were in, right? I think if I had slid into a team that was on its A game, that would probably be easier. But here you are, you're coming into this giant of a team and we're in the middle of having our worst year ever. And hey, I'm here, guys. Um, you know, that's 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 pretty intimidating. Well, and it was a role that was much more wider reaching, I guess, wasn't it? When you first joined McLaren in terms of you working for McLaren Technology Group, as an executive director rather than that that's now shifted to CEO of McLaren Racing. Like, did it 
was that overwhelming as well? Was that a position that you'd seen yourself going into or or was that a bit of a leap of faith for you? No, that was, you know, that that felt a little bit easier because that initial role was primarily, you know, commercial and 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 business and I think um you know, Sheikh Mohammed and Mansur that made me uh, the CEO, I think one of the things that was a challenge at McLaren was there there weren't enough kind of leaders at the top. It was a big decision by committee. And it was like, now you need to kind of have one throat to choke. And um, so I think actually when I started, it was a little bit easier because I, I wasn't really on top of the racing team. I, I was, but I was being assisted by Jonathan Neal and Eric was there. And it was only once they made me CEO where it was like, now let's be clear on track and off track performance, the buck stops with you. Um, that wasn't as clear cut at the beginning. Everyone was a little bit, all right, we know you're on the commercial side, but where does the racing fit in and it wasn't totally clear for for everyone so it became a lot clearer but with that you, you know all the uh all the all the uh, focus if you like was on all right Zach you know you've got total responsibility now so you know what that means yeah and we started this podcast talking about the fact that you were a racer originally yeah. and and were racing before you went into the business side of things so did this all sort of marry up when you became CEO of McLaren Racing? Was this like a dream job for you because it kind of married that passion of being a racer uh, and then being kind of in control of such an iconic team? Yeah, it, it wasn't the dream job I'd set out for in the 90s. The dream job was um, being on the podium, but in Daniel's spot uh, in, in Monza. So that was the initial dream. But once that didn't become uh, reality, uh, the, the dream was to be in the spot I was for, for, for Monza. So it's, it's always been my favorite team. Uh, really kind of started in 87, 88. You know, I loved Senna. It was obviously his last year at Lotus in 87. 88 when, you know, 87 is when I went to the IndyCar race that kind of really got me into it but i kind of started off as an indycar guy and then you know you always admire formula one monaco jackie stewart doing the wide world of sports abc uh commentary so that was all very vivid for me um but i cannot think of a job i would rather have today than the job that i i have there's not a team out there i love more than mclaren uh, I love living in, in England. I love that I have the freedom to bring us into IndyCar and Extreme E. Um, you know, this past weekend I was out playing in my Lewis Hamilton car, so I'm still driving. And, you know, McLaren Racing is in the business of, of, of racing, and we have a great ownership group that's very engaged, very supportive. I've got um, – freedom and an immense amount of of trust so there is uh there is no better job for for me and uh, i do pinch myself every day i'm very uh, fortunate and uh just needed you know you you remind yourself of that every time a fan approaches you um you know they're approaching me because i'm representing mclaren and you just got to keep that 
in check that the uh, the famous name on the business card is not mine. The famous name on my business card is McLaren CEO, and it can be your name here. And so you got to keep your feet on the ground. And and uh, I, I feel it's my responsibility to share the McLaren brand and passion with our millions of fans around the world. So you had other opportunities, not just McLaren, though, to come into Formula One. Lots of people that were trying to attract you to come and work for them at different times. Why do you think those other opportunities never did quite stick? And what was it that made McLaren the one that did? Um, McLaren came uh, fast and furious and with a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. When you, um, you know, Monteroger, who's passed away, has got to be the greatest human being I've I've ever met. And I think anyone who's met him would agree with that. So when Monsur uh, and, and Sheikh Mohammed uh, come come pitching and, and show you the love, you know, I'm 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 in motor racing for passion and emotion. And um Monsur, you know, oozes passion and, and emotion. So he uh, he's very compelling. Uh, when he's in uh, sales mode. And um, so it was really that I'd had some false starts with um, CVC and, and Bernie historically. Uh, Liberty, when they did their uh, acquisition, if you recall, it was in two different phases of governance. And so when they first came in and they brought in Chase, um, he was brought in, but he didn't have the control that, you know, he eventually had. And, and that was that moment where um, I was presented with an opportunity, but it was just a bit clunky because they weren't really fully through their acquisition. It was in a kind of a hybrid uh, moment. And then you have kind of Mansur and Sheikh Mohammed and the Crown Prince uh, swing in, giving it, um, you know, full throttle. And that becomes very... Uh, very compelling. So uh, it actually ended up happening very quickly. Well, this is the bit that, that people love because I know I'd love to know it as well. Like, what does full throttle look like then from the clown point of view? Was it like a, a nighttime tour of the MTC to show you all the all the hidden gems? Was it just a really fancy dinner? It, it was. Uh, it was all of the above. But it was. Um, I mean, Monsieur was 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 awesome. Um, and just kind of, you're not leaving here until we do a deal. Uh, he was a deal guy. So it, it, it um, you know, you felt really wanted. And, and I think whether you're, you know, a CEO or a racing driver or, or you know, wherever you're going to go work, you want to feel that they really want you. And that was what was really clear was I was the guy they wanted. Um, and that came through. And, um, you know, that that's that's what, you know, kind of pushed it over the pushed it over the edge. Did they ever tell you what maybe a key reason was why you were wanted? Was it just your track record and your history? Or was there anything specific you'd done that they went, because you did this, we think you'd really work well for us? I think it was the, you know, the commercial side. Um, you know, they, uh, no, I'm not a, a, a technician. Uh, so I don't think it was, let's get Zach in here because he's going to build us a faster car. But I think they knew, I knew how to run a business. I fully understood racing, being a racer. And I was commercial guy. And right, you've got um, two things you need out of a racing team, 
commercial side of the business and the on-track performance. And they had, uh, you know, 850 plus people that uh, were really good at building race cars and racing cars. So I think it was the, the commercial business racer side. And they'd known me for some some time, you know, uh, Monsur and Sheikh Mohammed known me since the first deal, the Hilton deal that I had uh, done with them. So I think I was also someone that they they knew. Mm. And then once you're in position and you had this, I guess, dream job, or certainly you're on your way to it, what do you think has been your best decision that you've then made in terms of putting McLaren on the right path? Um, well, definitely people um, and getting the right people in, in place. Um, so that's that, you know, if you kind of take a step back, that's, that's been the most important, probably the most radical decision I made that I, I really enjoyed Um and it was early on uh, what was bringing Fernando to, to, to Indy in, in 17. I think that um, shocked everyone, showed the level of support I had from the, the shareholders. They didn't need much convincing. And I remember when I brought it up, I thought, man, they're going to think I'm nuts. Um, so, so that decision from a kind of, you know, really felt like that was a Zach thing. Um, cause everyone thought I was nuts. Uh, and also built a really good relationship with Fernando, uh, which I was told he would be, uh, challenging to, to work with. And I never found that to be the case, quite the opposite. I, I thoroughly enjoyed working with Fernando, uh, also showed that, uh, to me that the shareholders, uh, really trusted me. Um, so, so that decision, but I wouldn't say it's that decision that, led to where we are today i would say that the the reason why we're having success today is is getting the right people in place you know andrea seidel and james key and you know andrea stella's done an awesome job and peers and that's on the racing side and then laura our cfo tim our head of comms claire our head of commercial so i've i think i've built a really strong leadership team that are doing a great job uh, leading. So, you know, out of, you know, eight, 900 people changed 10 key ones, but I think those 10 people have made a huge difference. And I think though you, you maybe have just undersold that Fernando uh, move because now McLaren is back in IndyCar. It's probably, it's the only team that's doing that in both F1 and IndyCar it reaches so much further. The fan base has grown massively. You've got great young talents, in the cars across both series. So that must have been a, a really like crucial moment because you pulled that off. Did you have to sell it to Fernando first or the shareholders first? Uh, Fernando first. And, um, you know, it was interesting. We uh, spoke about it and we kind of, I kind of throw these things out as, as jokes to the, the drivers and any, any bit. I, I, I was shocked. I, I kind of, didn't think in a million years. And then we had um, dinner, I think it was in China, and we spoke about it. And he said, I'll sleep on it. And his uh, manager, who I get along with uh, very well after dinner, said, I, I, I can't imagine he's going to do it. So I kind of at that point, and then uh, he woke up the next day and said, let's do it. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, now what? <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't know if we can do it. I don't know how the shareholders are going to feel about it. 
And um, so uh, Honda uh, helped make it happen, which was which was great. Um, you know, they recognized obviously the challenges that we we're having, and they uh, they they helped make it happen, and that was uh, that was great of them. Uh, contrary to uh, how things publicly played out, I, I believe we had a really strong relationship with Honda all the way to the end. I think they're a great company. I think they're proving that now. I think just the relationship. Uh, didn't work. And as I look back on that, I think um, there was a multitude of reasons why uh, us very much being part of that as as were they. But, um, you know, it was kind of business. It never got uh, personal. So it's a little unfortunate the way it kind of appears to have played out is not how I think it was in reality. And then the shareholders um, supported it. And, you know, we went for it. And the guy led the Indy 500. It was um, the complete opposite of 2019. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't bring that one up as a big break moment. But did all the shareholders go for it when you suggested it? Or was there any pushback where they're like, oh, hang on a minute, how's this going to work? No, uh, there, you know, I think there was a little bit of, so I always had total support. I mean, it was it was a one and done conversation. It, you know, there was no time for it to, well, can we pick it up next month? So I got uh, unanimous support quickly. Um, I think they probably offline thought, oh, man, this guy's might be a little crazy. Um, but they let me go. They're, they're racers. I think that's the thing about um, our shareholders. You know, Monsur, Sheikh Mohammed, uh, Crown Prince, they're, they're, they're racers. So they kind of, they got it. Um, and they're also, you know, commercial and, and understand marketing so um no i they 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 came out to the race they were there when fernando qualified uh, i think they loved it well as you say as well he was leading the thing he was rookie of the year it was like everyone was watching it i remember being in monaco and there was a big watch party in the mclaren awesome. brand center yeah there was a there was a whole party going on there and everyone was so nervous watching that race and did the success of that kind of then maybe give you a, another boost as well that like yeah i can come in here and shake shake things up because yeah that if was, we're that if we're, that was de definitely a confidence builder uh, for me, right? Because that could have gone all wrong. Uh, I know we won't talk about 2019, but it went all wrong in 19. Thank God it happened in the order it did, um, because I think 2017 showed um, that you can uh, do things differently. Um, you know, Formula One in particular, uh, specifically historically, is very rigid. There's a lot of, you know, you don't do that. And it was like, well, why not? Uh, well, we don't do that around here. Well, why not? So to kind of challenge the establishment, if you'd like, and do something like that and be successful with it, because the Indy 500 was massively successful for us on track and off track and publicity and sponsors. I mean, it it, it was definitely a, a home run to use a baseball term. So that those were things that definitely built my uh, confidence. Well, in terms of building confidence, like you then led McLaren in the right direction in Formula One as well. Um, Andreas Seidel is someone that seems to be leading that team extremely impressively. I, again, how much did it come down to you, maybe connections, relationships, your history within racing that allowed you to find the right people to put in place, do you think? Well, Andreas and I uh, met each other when you know my racing team, United Autosports, was, was racing at Le Mans. Uh, so that's where Andreas and I uh, started to get to know each other. Uh, he obviously very successfully ran uh, the Porsche uh, World Endurance and, and Le Mans uh, programs. And yeah, I, I think 
my racing background, some of the investors that are at McLaren now are, are guys that I raced against in his, with historic cars. Um, Jeff Morad, I knew from NASCAR when he had a NASCAR team. So that kind of ties back to JMI. Um, drivers, you know, all, you know, I, I met Lando for the first time when United was racing in British touring cars and he was racing Janetta's. So I think a lot of me kind of living at racetracks in different capacities have come back to uh, benefit, if you'd like, my McLaren CEO role uh, because of the various um, uh, ways I know people throughout motorsports. And did Andreas take much convincing to to come and join you? Was that one where you had to do the, uh, yeah, the reverse no, of when no, you were attracted? Yeah, no, no, no. We had to. Um, we met with him for the first time in in Germany, and um, you know he he makes quick decisions, but you know he's a, uh, a demanding guy. Uh, as he should be. So, you, you know, what he needed to be convinced of was that we were fully committed. He didn't need to be convinced of what a cool racing team McLaren is. And uh, he wanted to have the, the freedom, much like I have the freedom for my shareholders. I, I let him get on with it. I'm not going to tell him what front wing to uh, run or when to pit. You know, you've got um, some some teams that we're seeing now in Formula One where the uh, Bosses maybe uh, uh, get get a little too involved at certain times. I'm a believer that you know, Andreas, you're you're here to run the Formula One team, and I'm going to stand back. And if we need to have any conversations, we're going to do that. Um, not during the Sky broadcast. We're going to do that. Uh, uh, you know, in our in our weekly meetings, and you know, Andreas and I talk a hundred times a, a day. So I think he also wanted to know. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to be able to run the team. You're not going to meddle around, are you? And I'm not a, a meddler. I'm very involved, but, you know, I believe in letting people uh, do do their job. You hire the best people you can and you let them get on with it. So he wanted to know that he was going to be able to get along with me. And I think we get along great. Uh, I know we get along great. And uh, he wanted to know that we were committed to, to put the resources in place, things like the wind tunnel, to be able to give him the tools uh, to be able to go out and win again. And that's, um, I think we've lived up to our end of the bargain and he's uh, living up to his end of the bargain. Well, then if I take you all the way back to where we pretty much started with this and we go to mid nineties and you're scraping around trying to find sponsors for yourself to fund your own racing and, and you're doing it all and it's burning you out. Could you have imagined in your wildest dreams that 25 years later you would be putting in place the team principal at McLaren Formula One team and you'd have them racing IndyCar as well? No, definitely not. It's um, it's it's a dream come true. I think it, uh, you know, can show anyone, you know, if you got enough passion and and hard work and luck, and you keep going, um, anyone can achieve uh, a- anything. And uh, it, it's 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 a privilege. I I, I love working at um, McLaren and working with all the men and women it's uh it's it's so much fun so it's easy to get up and um you know hit it hard every day because you know we're trying to trying to move forward and it uh, it's working but we still have a long way to go yeah and as you reflect on that journey that we've just talked about then over the last 45 minutes or so like what stands out as the biggest fork in the road where this could have gone so differently um you know we were uh in a pretty challenging position, as everyone knows, financially, uh, you know, this time last year. And I think, um, you know, that was 
that was pretty scary because we had a lot of on track momentum and I really wanted to shelter because I had a lot of confidence in Paul Walsh, our chairman, that we would get the right solution. So I wanted to shelter the, the, the team and our partners and our fans from the, the anxiety that I, I had, you know, sometimes you, 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 you share everything. And then there's other times that it's in the team's best interest that you let them keep having success and doing what they're doing, knowing that they can't really influence the outcome of what, you know, I'm working on with, with, with Paul and, and the shareholders. So I think that was a, a big moment and couldn't be happier with uh, MSP sports and, and UBS O'Connor is uh, our new uh, partners in the racing team because they're uh, sports people. Uh, they gave us the investment we needed to be able to get back to the front uh, that's showing. And uh, so I think that's got to be, um, you know, one of the biggest moments because that was the moment that went right. Now we have, we've gone from, we're going to get everything we need so now we have everything we need, and now we can just look forward. I felt like I was uh, racing, if you'd like, like most of my career, looking in my mirrors. Then the, being able to look forward, does that mean this is you set for life? Are, are you a McLaren racing CEO or certainly a McLaren racing employee for the, for the rest of your life? Or that's, that's, more that's, certainly, uh, that's certainly my plan. That's my vote. But uh, I got to, uh, you know keep doing what I'm doing. I think uh, shareholders are very happy with uh, how the racing's going, but uh, certainly I want to, I, I don't see myself in any other, uh, in any other role. And what are the final ambitions then for, for you to achieve from here? You've achieved so much. We've talked about it now, but um, you've, what, what's not, on the checklist? Yeah, not, not much. Formula one world championship, IndyCar championship, extreme E championship. I'd love to go to Le Mans and win, win Le Mans. So just, just a few of those goals. Sounds sound simple. With all the stuff you've somehow managed to pull off before now, I'm sure they are very much realistic ones. So, Zach, we look forward to seeing how you tackle those in the future. And thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>